Yes, as Matt said or prayed, Narita uh, left early this morning uh, for Oregon to be with her aunt. She took her mother to be with her aunt who um, just found out in the last two weeks that she has advanced cancer and is not expected to live very long. Her aunt is only uh, four years older than Narita and spent a number, of, a few years living with Narita's family, so... Uh, pray for her. She's somewhere over Montana or Wyoming right now. I just checked the app on the phone. Children, you're supposed to go out, right? Okay, go. Uh, and we're going to talk about some stuff in... Oh, just kidding. Please turn your Bibles to uh, Genesis 1. And, and I, I want to look at a passage... I want to look at a couple verses in chapter 1 of Genesis. Then we'll go to chapter 2. And... Uh, over the last month, I've been thinking about the differences of humanity and the way we're created and the way God made us, uh, all those things. But also, I, if you weren't here, Jenna married on Friday night, and I was preparing to preach the wedding as well. So I'm not going to talk about marriage today. I'm going to talk something much bigger than, well, not much bigger, but something that it, it kind of came out of that but isn't really a, a wedding sermon at all. I want you to notice in Genesis 1. Now, if, when you look at Genesis, think about this being two accounts of creation. There are two accounts of creation. The one is kind of the big picture, Genesis 1, and then it zooms in and has individual details in chapter 2. And we're not going to discuss this morning when this happened or anything like that. And I want you to notice what God did in Genesis in, in, Genesis 1, verse 26. God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them, them, plural, have dominion over the flesh of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created him. He created them. And, and God blessed them, it says. Now, now turn to chapter 2, and we're going to dive into how God did this. And I, I just saw some fascinating things here that um, the gospel so clearly presented here, but we'll, we'll get to that. In chapter 2, verse 5, follow along again as I read. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. Let's just stop there. I never saw, I have read the Bible how many times? I never saw that phrase there. There was no man to work the ground. It's almost like this God began, God created this beautiful thing. Now, that the plants hadn't yet sprung up or anything like that, but God had created this beautiful thing, and, and he says, but there's nobody to work the ground. I want you to think about that as we, as we go on then. There was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. Verse 15 then. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heaven, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. By the way, for, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Uh, go back to that verse 6. There was no man to work the ground. So there's, a, there's kind of parallel language there where God saw, I need something here. And, and Adam begins to see, I need something here. Um, for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. We're stopped there for now. Um, Again, like I said, I was thinking about creation and how God created humanity. And obviously, Adam and Eve is our great, great, great whatever. It, it, humanity all comes from this first couple. Uh, there's no, I mean, Christianity has believed that all its years, regardless how we think creation happened and all that. And that's not the point. Of, the point this morning is that we all come from Adam and Eve. And this is before the fall, so they are perfect. And think about humanity. Uh, think about the most beautiful woman, or, or think about the woman who the world thinks is most beautiful. Uh, the model of beauty and all these things. And, and think about Eve being even much better than that. Hundreds of times better than that. Because she had all the genes for beauty in the world. All the genes that women carry today for beauty, Eve had. All the genes, uh, think about, I guess you don't say beautiful men. What are men? Strong, but they're also handsome. Yeah, handsome. So the most handsome man in the world. Mindy looked at Joni there, but anyway. Uh, so, so, but think about that, the genetic. that. So think about Adam and Eve. They are the perfect couple, the perfect man and woman. They're created in this wonderful way. And, and by the way, when you look at the language that in, in chapter 2 uses, and, and the reason that I wanted to read chapter 1 is it is very clear that Adam and Eve carry the image of God. Not just Adam, but Adam and Eve. Both of them. So God has the qualities that Eve had as much as he had the qualities that Adam had. I'm not ready to say, you know, Mother God like the... I'm just saying God is everything. And that's important for us to realize today because when we look at our fellow humans, it's easy to grade them by beauty, by skin color, and those kinds of things. It's easy to evaluate people or by their aptitude or what they bring for us. And that's not how God created us. Initially, I mean, we carry the image, every person in the world, regardless how broken, carries a part of the image of God. 
And when we can see past the brokenness of humanity and say that person carries some of the image of God, we can love everyone. So think in the same way, think about the most unlovable people in the world today. The people that the entire world hates on in some ways. Criminals and serial killers and those kind of things. And yet, somewhere in them, it's very masked and it's very hidden, there is a part of the image of God. I I, I was thinking about all those things. I was thinking about how God then did it. So so chapter 1 is kind of this big picture. Then it talks about how God did it. So God, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. And the word formed there means shaped by hand. Think about this. This is the God of the universe coming down and creating. I wonder how he did it. I mean, did he kneel down? It gives the idea. He knelt down, took dirt, and shaped the man like a potter shaping clay. And he shapes this, this Adam. And then God breathes into him a living soul. And it is so fascinating to me how God awakens desire in Adam. Uh, initially, uh, remember I had said, uh, the Lord God, uh, there was no man to work the ground. And in some ways, God is saying, I need somebody to work the ground. Now, God wants something even more, much more. But there's that desire in God to have somebody to take care of his creation. He can relate to. God is about relationship, and he's rela- he wants somebody he can relate to that can take care of his creation. And then... Uh, the, uh, uh, the wedding part of this is it says that, that, God, that Adam, there was no helper for Adam. No help meet. Now help meet is a, the, the King James word. The actual better word is helper. A helper with strength, by the way. Um, that that uh, Hebrew word is, uh, the word is used 21 times in the Old Testament and it has the idea of special strength. So Adam had, Adam was incomplete. And he needed somebody with some special strength. In fact, when the word is translated, uh, Psalm 121, my help comes from the Lord. Help? That's the same word as is used here for helper in a, in a, in a reduced form. So, so it is not good that man should be alone, God said. I will make a helper fit for him. And that, those words fit for him means corresponding to him or equal in strength. So, Eve, God saw that Adam wasn't strong enough, didn't have all the strength. So he created somebody with special strength that fits to him, Eve. And, and I, I think that's beautiful because that puts man and woman who both carry the image of God on an equal playing field. It doesn't mean, like, if my wife and I arm wrestle, I can beat her every time. That's not, it's, not that, it's not muscle strength it's talking about here. It's something bigger. Although there are a number of you who could probably, women who could beat me arm wrestling, but anyway, um, that, that's not the point. So, but, and then th- think about how God did this. So God, God says, it is not good that man should be alone. So instead of telling man that, he does something completely weird, at least in my mind. He, he brings the animals by and says, you name the animals. So here they come, the, the, the elephant, 
First, yeah, the biggest. The elephants or the mastodons or whatever was there. Two by two they come, and he names them. It's clear it's two by two. And as they go by, Adam begins to say, where's mine? So that awakens the desire in Adam. Now, God could have just created Eve, but God wanted that desire to awaken in Adam to say, where's mine? I need something. Each of these animals, there's a mister and a missus. Where's mine? But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. The elephant didn't fit. The giraffe, you know, they just didn't fit. They weren't his species. So God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. This is where God could have created Eve. God could have gotten like that. And Eve could have come walking by and Adam would have said, Woohoo! He didn't. Adam fell asleep. It's kind of apt for us men. But anyway, Adam fell asleep and God opened up his side. And this is crucial. God opened up his side and took part of Adam's DNA, this DNA of this person he had created, and took that out and created Eve with it. Now it says rib, and it's historically been translated rib. It's actually uh, much bigger than rib. It's, it's, It's part of his being. Who he is as a human is taken out, and he creates Eve. Now, why did God take it out of his side? Do you ever wonder that? And it says that God then closed up the wound and created Eve. Uh, by the way, it's also not true that men have one less rib than women. We have an equal number of ribs, all of us, unless you've had them removed. But why the side? Well, you know, you could use the arguments. He didn't take it out of his head so that she would lord it over him. Didn't take it out of his feet so he would lord it. Uh, uh, Yeah, okay, so I get it. Kind of attached at the side, working together. But there's something bigger here, something much bigger. So what what I want you to think about is that God created this Adam. And from his side, he took something that would create all of us that would create all of us in Eve. Because Adam, by himself, couldn't propagate the human race. He needed something more. He needed Eve. Now turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And let me read you to you We'll begin reading at verse 45. This is where it becomes really fascinating. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now who is the second Adam? Actually, who is the last Adam? Because uh, traditionally this has been translated the last Adam. 
because it is the final Adam. Who is the final Adam? Who is Paul saying is the final Adam? Who is it? What does Jesus have on his side? A scar where from his side flowed the DNA that would give us life. As he died, this is not true of most uh, Roman crucifixions. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he had lived his life. The man uh, from heaven came. The man who had helped create the first man, the man of dust. And he's hanging there on a cross. He's bleeding. He's got four wounds. One in each hand and, and in his feet. And the Roman soldiers come along and in their final uh, way of bringing a horrific death to crucified people, they would break the legs of those people. And then they couldn't push up and get their breath anymore, and they would ask, fix it. Instead, the Roman soldier looked up at Jesus, and instead of breaking his bones, he pushed that spear into his side right from the place that God had opened up Eve and created the DNA for humanity. He opened up the side, and blood and water came out and brought life, life-giving life into the world. The second Adam also has a scar on his side, just like the first Adam did. And from it flowed the DNA that gives us life. That is so beautiful. Why did God take it from Adam's side back there? Because he knew that thousands of years later, there would be a scar on his son's side. And that scar would bring us life in the same way that Adam and Eve brought physical life to all of the world. And so when Paul compares, Paul in particular, but when Paul compares the first Adam and the second Adam or the final Adam, he's saying the first Adam brought, he's a man of dust. He, they're dust. Adam and Eve are made from dust and they'll return to dust. That physicalness will return to dust. But the second Adam brought some kind of DNA, some kind of image into the world that we can be a part of. And in the same way, that second Adam's side was opened up so that his bride, who is the bride of Christ? It is, it is his church. It is us. It is Providence sitting here this morning. In that same way, his side was opened up and we were created out of that. That is so beautiful. It is so powerful. It invites us into living in a deep and rich way that is much more than physical. So we all inherited something from Adam. My stepfather-in-law has this bad joke. He'll, he'll meet somebody and say, yeah, we're related. And, you know, in a, particularly in our community, and the people say, oh, really, how? And he say, all the way back to Adam. I'm so tired of that anyway, but anyway, I hope he isn't listening. But, uh, but we all do. We have those genes if you could gene trace, and we do a fair bit of that through some of the work I do, we, we can gene trace back in particular communities, and there's a, there is a commonality among all people. Well, in the same way, we inherited a gene, a DNA. We inherited DNA from Jesus. When we embrace the life of Jesus, when we say that is truly our Adam, the one who brings life into the world, the one who I am going to be married to, and that this, this analogy follows all the way through because when we get to heaven, when we all get to heaven together, when we, when we arrive there, we're going to participate in a marriage supper. 
where we join our groom in this wonderful ceremony, in this powerful, and there'll be open mic for eternity. Well, some of the weddings are for eternity, but anyway. Um, but there'll be, there'll be an opportunity for us to express our love for the bride in a way that is so powerful. And he will express his love for us because we are taken from his side. We are taken from his side. One final scripture I invite you to turn to. Colossians uh, chapter 1. We're going to end up here. Begin reading at verse 15 then, but think about DNA and genetics. So at the center we collect DNA and genetic, uh, the, the DNA testing that can happen today. And we begin to look for commonalities and say people originated from the Swiss highlands. Or you can see these commonalities. And we're dispelling some myths and adding to some of the stories. Uh, there are many myths in our DNA, in our heritages that, that you can dispel by looking at the actual DNA. Now my question to you is if people were to take your, if, if it were possible for us to take your spiritual DNA, what would they find? Because see, your spiritual DNA is how you live. It's how you act. It's how you speak. That is the measure of who we are and whose we are. So which family do you belong to? In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says this. He's talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Stop. Who is the firstborn of humanity? Adam. But he is the firstborn of all creation, Jesus. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And I would add, when they talk about the blood of the cross, they're talking about the blood that gushed out of his side that day, that blood and water that came out. Jewish people understand that his legs weren't broken because the Passover lamb had to be perfect, couldn't have any broken bones. And in the same way, we understand that the blood and water that came out of his side, that wound in his side, bring healing and life to the world. Now, the the question and the impact it should have on us is how do we live with that? How do we live with that well? And and what, what should it do to us today? It should make a difference. We Sometimes I, I think we, we've become kind of jaded to the idea that Christianity should make a difference. It should make a difference in your life. And maybe in the past it's been wrongly represented where, we've, where, we, where it's become kind of an outward appearance. It's not that. It's about how we relate, live, give, respond, react to the events of our lives. 
It doesn't mean we're perfect, but it means we're being shaped by a different force. By the second Adam. Just trying to think of some practical ways for my own life. See, it's easy to talk about it here on Sunday mornings. It's much harder to live when there are issues that I face. And so, as you go through this coming week, think about, uh, think about your connection with your physical family, how you relate, how people... Uh, I, when, when events like the wedding happened this week, Jenna's wedding... Uh, there was a, an awful lot of young people here. And I, I would look at them and think, I wonder who their dad is. You do this, it only happens to old people. And you, you kind of, you think about what their dad used to do. There was a few stories I could have told there about their dads. I could also tell you a few about Brent and a few others I've known a little longer. But, or Dwendal. Anyway, but, but think about how we connect the past, and, and people's connections to family. Think about what would happen if people said, oh, he looks like he belongs to Jesus, the family of Jesus. What would you have to do different this coming week for people to say that about you, about me? That's the challenge. It's a very practical thing. And I... The minute you begin to make notes and say, this is how you do it, you've probably lost it. It means that you live in a way that it's, it's about belonging, not about doing. Because if, if you have that sense of belonging, it will change you. This week, I've just really been thinking about DNA and genetics and, and the idea that, that we are the image of God on earth. The church is the image of God on earth. The, the way that people relate to the church will relate to Jesus will primarily come through his people. And sometimes I get really sick of Christians. But other times I think, you know, they do really represent Jesus. Let's stand together. Matt will have a closing song of prayer and Matt will have a closing song. Lord Jesus, thank you for the way you created Adam. How you genetically removed a part of creation and created even more. And in the same way, you opened up the side of yourself. And from it flowed life-giving DNA for us. And I pray that that would shape and alter our world. First of all, our personal worlds. The way we think about ourselves, the way we talk about who we are. But I also pray that it would affect our relationships, the way we relate to other people and engage our hearts with others. Lord, convict us this week when we live in ways that doesn't fit our family, our DNA. Please bless words on our time together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Matt.